All right, we got the intro music in place. We got the podcast up on Apple Podcasts. And we've got a special guest this week in Scott Ritchie. Welcome, Scott. Thanks. Got the podcast double duty today. So if I like go off on a tangent about Houston being in my top five <laughs> in the AP Top 25, uh, forgive me, but basketball is still on the brain. I don't even know who the Houston football coach is these days. Uh, is it still, I think it's Dana Holgerson. There you go, Dana Holgerson. He's got some nice flow. Yeah, I mean, I maybe never should have left West Virginia. But All right, well, you're listening to Inside Illini Football. This is episode five. I'm a sports editor. Matt Daniels here at the News Gazette and our jack-of-all-traits Illini writer Scott Ritchie is in the house because Colin Likas is off snowboarding and skiing in Colorado and apparently he brought some of the snow with him uh, spiritually back to Champaign because we got a couple inches on the ground here as we record this uh, late Monday morning, the first day of February 2021. Yeah, it's hard to believe it's February. We're zeroing in on a year the <laughs> pandemic, so that's pretty exciting. Yeah, I, I sense the sarcasm there, Scott. But uh, we're going to talk some uh, some Illinois football. Get Scott's uh, thoughts on on Brett Bielma. Haven't had the chance to really dive into what he thinks on this podcast. As Colin and I have dominated the airwaves on that topic this last month, but uh, Bielma had a Zoom call last Wednesday, Scott, that uh, you participated in. What were your what were your big takeaways? What were your impressions of uh, of his interactions with the the media via video conferencing? Well, it'd been you know, a month essentially since you know he had last done any media availability, and it was my first you know, really hearing him speak. I mean, I you know, listened to the his introductory press conference a little bit, and I've read obviously the things that Colin has written and Bob and, and Lauren, um, but I, I was probably most taken by the fact that like we actually learned things about how he was going to structure his coaching staff and why he did and maybe how he was going to run his program and uh, the transparency was uh, startling coming off of the Lovey Smith era where we didn't learn anything that he didn't specifically want to tell us um, going scorched earth here on Lovey well I'm just I don't know that that's not basically just common knowledge at this point you know Lovey Smith kept and keeps things close to the vest and you know didn't really ever appear too interested in letting people inside the program and we took a very NFL approach which made sense because he had been an NFL coach for two decades in between his college football stops um, Brett Bielma is a college football coach despite me he spent a couple of years obviously in the NFL last few but he's a college football coach at heart and maybe understands that particularly at Illinois, like he has to sell the program a little bit. I mean, Illinois has been the big 10 West bottom dweller and the program's not in a great place. And to elevate it, I think he has to get, you know, the fans to buy back in because they were out on Illinois football. And just by opening the door even a little bit, I think, you know, you get, you know, a look at kind of what he's trying to do. And that's, that's a positive thing for a coach in this situation to do, in my opinion. And we'll get another peek uh, behind the curtain, obviously, via Zoom, as social distancing remains uh, the standard. Uh, Wednesday, uh, signing day press conference, Scott, but uh, doesn't have quite the quite the buildup as in signing days past because the early signing period happened in mid-December that that purgatory week for Illinois football in between Lovey Smith getting fired and, and Brett Bielema getting hired. And since then he's added uh, quite a bit to the, the roster uh, through keeping players that uh, wanted to come back and use their extra year of eligibility, convincing players who entered the transfer portal to then depart the transfer portal and, and stay with the Illini <coughs> as Scott me. has a minor coughing fit. Not COVID. Not COVID. <laughs> um, you lost my train of thought. That just threw me off there a little bit, Scott. But they've added a lot of transfers. Uh, one of them uh, is having a Zoom call right now as we record this. Calvin Hart, uh, linebacker from North Carolina State. Bob Osmussen is uh, on that one, so you can read all about uh, Hart in, in Tuesday's News Gazette. And uh, Chase Hayden, uh, two-time transfer, started his college career at Arkansas and then went to East Carolina running back, uh, speaks on Tuesday. And Bob will have more coverage on that later this week. And... Then Bielema steps up to the plate on Wednesday, and uh, they've got two high school commits 
uh, in the last month uh, under Bielema and his new staff, Josh McCray, a running back out of Enterprise, Alabama. And then uh, Dwayne Johnson, uh, a linebacker, uh, I believe from Georgia. Yeah, he's from... Got a good good name. He's going to be the rock of this uh, this recruiting class for Illinois. God, I see what you did there. Yeah. I think he goes by DJ. Saving that one up for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's from... He went to South Gwinnett, so... I mean that's good. Good school. Yeah, well, I think every Gwinnett school in that, like every school in that district, known for its football. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. Like with the early signing period in December, which is fine. Like I don't mind it, but like the well, first it, w- Wednesday in February used to be like that used any to be the event. spotlight on college football, wall to wall covered from six a.m. in the morning to eleven p.m. at night, and now it's just kind of. Just another day. Yeah, another day, and uh, obviously the the Super Bowls this upcoming Sunday, and that's going to dominate plenty of coverage. But signing day just kind of lost the. I understand why they did it from a, a schematic standpoint, and just getting kids on campus and recruits to sign and coaches to stop worrying about what high school athletes are going to do or not going to do. But having that early signing period almost. This year it was up earlier, but it usually seems to fall like almost the week before Christmas. It just kind of seems to get lost in the lost in the shuffle, and uh, that first Wednesday in February almost felt like kind of a, a kickstart to the off season for college football. That now we don't really have. Yeah, cause it makes I mean, me sad. It was always a fun day, and it led oftentimes into you know the start of spring ball. I mean, he's kind of at least he knew it was coming around the corner, and. I mean, I guess now spring ball can happen literally whenever, but it's a little different. And you know, Illinois will, I suppose, I guess, I assume, will sign you know Dwayne Johnson, and that's going to be fun to say for a long time. And, and Josh McCray. <laughs> what was that uh, football player that signed at Illinois State like four or five years ago? Kobe Buffalo. Kobe Buffalo. <laughs> yes, that was best. I don't know if he ever played at Illinois State. Uh, I know they did. I, I, I think because like he redshirted his freshman year, that I'm not yeah. sure he ended up playing. Best name. One of the better names too. Scott and I had the privilege of covering during our undergrad years at Eastern Illinois was uh, Nick Nasty, uh, middle linebacker for for Eastern Illinois. Out of Plano, Illinois, go Reapers. I mean, he was, and he was nasty. Meant to be, yeah. A he was good. Linebacker. Yeah, that's true. Um, we but, digress, though. Continue, Scott. Uh, get used to that on this podcast with <laughs> Matt and I. Uh, it tends to happen. I mean, so have the two, you know, twenty twenty one recruits. But I think you know, there's probably still more work to be done on the transfer portal, and who knows if like who who is on the Illinois roster now will still be maybe after spring ball because mm-hmm. I mean that's. Sort of a another point on the calendar where, okay, you just went through spring ball and maybe you were fourth string when you didn't expect to be and <laughs> you decide that there's a better opportunity elsewhere. So the roster will be in flux. And this is just sort of pretty standard in the transfer era until midsummer would be my guess. Yeah, and uh, it's been... Uh, I would say intriguing to to see the names that Brett Bielema has added uh, from the transfer portal, and uh, it's I find it interesting too that a lot of people are I'm going to say hyping these guys up, but really kind of showing some praise for for the transfers he's landed, and then the fact that that was how Lovey Smith basically built his roster at Illinois as he went through the transfer portal and. There always seemed to be lots of love in the off season, and then when the season actually starts and Luke Ford catches two passes, people are wondering what the heck's going on. People are freaking out. <laughs> I think is what you meant to say. You put it, uh, yeah. I put it kind of mildly. You kind of went to the the realistic. Well, point I mean, you look at the transfers. You know, like Lovey Smith got you know a bunch of guys from USC. Um, Richie Pettibone from Alabama. Like who started on a bull team? So I mean, and you know, Wale Batiku. Did fine in the non-conference portion yeah. of that bowl season. Less fine, maybe in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh Bebe, obviously from USC. Like it's from these sort of name programs, and you know the thinking is, you know, backups there. Why couldn't they compete you mm-hmm. know, at Illinois? Um, so we'll see if it's sort of similar with Brett Bielma. Got Jafar Armstrong from Notre Dame. Eddie Smith from Alabama. Um, Prather Hudson, Georgia from Georgia. So. 
of teams that are either contended for a national title this year or you know have consistently. The one name you did mention, and I, I'm, you might have mentioned it before I cut you off here, but the one I'm more, most intrigued about to see, Max Rosenthal, Michigan State, fullback. Uh, Illinois hasn't had a fullback in, no offense to Tim Clary, talked to the former Illini tight end. He did play a little fullback uh, during the time in the mid-2010s there, but pretty much since Jay Prosh went here and just bulldozed people out of the way for Mikel Shore to just run rampant uh, in the Illinois offense. So Max Rosenthal, if he catches one or two touchdown passes, good for him, but I'm more intrigued to see what he brings with his hand in the ground, lighten up some incoming linebackers and clearing space for Chase Brown or Mike Epstein to – is Mike Epstein coming back too, by the way? He hasn't announced anything. I'm assuming he's coming back. He's just going to be – He's going to be like his ninth season of, uh, of eligibility at Illinois by the time his college career winds up, it seems. Yeah, because I'm we've taken into account, you know, that he missed time with injuries. Like, uh, he could just be here forever. <laughs> I don't know if he, like, wants to be here forever. Um, well, he's like one of the only ones that uh, we don't really know. He hasn't announced, and I know he went through senior day ceremonies at Memorial Stadium when they hosted Iowa on December 5th, but... He's a redshirt junior this season. Yeah, so he uh, could come back for two more years. Yeah, that's crazy <laughs> <laughs> for a guy that what committed to committed Tim to Tim Beckman. Yeah, yeah. that's the August uh, 2015. He committed, I think, three weeks before uh, before Beckman was fired. Commit to Tim Beckman, then play two seasons for Be- Brett Bielmo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I don't I, mean, I don't know if that'll happen, but uh, yeah, he is kind of the guy. It's I don't mm-hmm. know, everyone's sort of quote unquote waiting for. But, yeah, good point. Good um, point. I don't think that any season of his at Illinois has maybe gone the way he would like. So maybe he does come back for one more year at least and say, like, can I please have a traditional college football experience? Because um, <laughs> he hasn't had that yet, but I guess we'll find out. What do you uh, – big picture question, Scotty. What do you think of um, – first off, one, the hiring of Brett Bielema. I know that was a name that was floated about in that six-day window uh, in between the firing of Lovey Smith and by the time Josh Whitman made his hire, uh, but also, too, just the, the coaching staff that he's uh, assembled uh, so far here. And he's got it filled out. took him a month to do so, but he's got all 10 assistant coaches lined up, ready to go. I mean, it essentially came down to Brett Bielmer, Lance Leipold, and – I bet the viewership numbers for the MAC championship game in Champaign-Urbana were astronomical that night. Yeah, and then by halftime, everyone had maybe shut off the TV and was like, okay, hire Bielmo. <laughs> it was not a great game for Buffalo, but if you look at what he's what Brett Bielmo's done, it's like he won Big Ten championships at Wisconsin. I mean, that program was in a different place and than Illinois is, obviously, but he knows what it takes to win in the Big Ten West. Um, and then... I think his stint at Arkansas sort of looked at, I don't know, as a failure, but it wasn't what he wanted. Clearly it wasn't what Arkansas wanted because they fired him. But, like, if he took Illinois to three consecutive bowl games, I mean, they'd probably knock down the Grange statue and put one up of him. Start renaming streets. Yeah. It's, uh, everything like that. So, I mean, obviously, the standards are a little different. But I think, I mean, just – it's a complete opposite hire of Lovey Smith because you went from an NFL guy as mm-hmm. coach that took a team to the Super Bowl to, like I said, you know, a college football coach. And I think he constructed his staff to be a college football staff. And you know, Lovey Smith had some missteps in that regard where he brought in some more, maybe more NFL-minded people that didn't view recruiting maybe the way that you need to at the college level. Yeah, looking back on the last decade of, of Illinois football and in terms of the, the coaching uh, aspect and the coaching staffs ever since Mike Thomas fired Ron Zook in uh, November 2011, uh, it's an interesting dichotomy because you've got so many various examples. You look back to the the Tim Beckman hire at the time, thought of as kind of the up-and-coming Mac coach that would – turn around a power five program obviously that didn't happen but this everyone else on that toledo staff has done better yeah the, uh, uh the staff that he put together was an interesting conglomeration because you kind of had a mixture of guys that had been at some power five schools but it was almost kind of the up-and-coming coaches too where they didn't have quite that that power five coaching experience before so you weren't too sure what they were going to bring uh not only on the field but also from 
a recruiting standpoint as well. And then you go to the Lovey Smith era where, like you said, Scott, it was just a a mixture. And, and we've talked about it on numerous shows in the past. We've written about it in, in the News Gazette in the, in the uh, preceding years. But just the fact that you had a blend of guys that were in the college game, but then you also had the blend of guys that were in the NFL. And you weren't really sure how that was going to work itself out on not only the recruiting front too, but just schematic wise what that would do and obviously the results on the field did not live up to uh to standards at all especially on the defensive side of the ball it was it was bad uh just to to be very blunt and recruiting never really seemed to take off like like a lot of people thought it would and yeah you can point to lovey smith too but like his uh, like we said before the staff he assembled just kind of seemed to be a hodgepodge of guys that never really kind of seemed to to mesh now there was that month stretch in 2019 where the world was great. Illinois had everything going. That four-game win streak to get them to a bowl game, but then it just kind of, kind of fell off. I mean, ever since they they won at Michigan State, what they they lost their final three games of that season. They went two and six. So they were two and nine in their last eleven games going into the the twenty twenty one season. Not how you maybe want to follow up the the peak of exactly. your, of your time in a program. What stood out the, to me the most about how Brett Bielma constructed his staff was I mean he's got his offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator both who have been mm-hmm. in those positions at other yes. power five schools and then he's got three more guys on staff that have have that experience as well mm-hmm. and you know that's uh, I think a positive and his whole staff has power five experience mm-hmm. uh, I mean I guess um one of the Millers the one from that went that spent an entire career at Air Force Ben Miller tight ends coach yeah Brother Bart Miller. No, they're not brothers. <laughs> they're not siblings. They're not related. That we know of. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, he, but I guess he had you know, years of grad assistant in Illinois. Mm-hmm. So it's not maybe everyone with Power 5 experience, but Air Force has been better than Illinois. Yes. Mm-hmm. In the last several years, at least. Um, so, yeah, a college football coach built a college football staff. And I, I, mean, I think that's the most maybe Illinois could ask for. And you know, a staff that. He has a plan for. It. I mean, they're mm-hmm. they're going to split up the state into ten regions and recruit Illinois. Uh, I think they, you know, Brett Biel has made that a priority. And then, of course, the coaches will have their own, you know, regions outside of Illinois as well. Um, but again, this was just you know Brett Biel being a little more transparent. He has an assistant head coach and an associate head coach on his staff, of which you could be like, isn't that the same thing? And in a way, it will be because you know, George McDonald, his assistant head coach, wide receivers coach, will have more responsibilities on the offensive side of the ball, uh, player personnel as well. But uh, he is going to sort of be in charge of shaping the roster via recruiting on the offensive side. So that, that allows Tony Peterson, the offense coordinator, to you know be an OC, develop a playbook, figure out the scheme. And then Kevin Kane, associate head coach, outside linebackers coach, will do the same thing defensively. So it's we know more about this coaching staff structure than we ever did with Lovey Smith, and uh, that's at least a, a start. But there's a plan in mm-hmm. place. Lovey Smith had a plan. We just didn't know anything about it. That's very true. All right, uh, our plan on this show is to spotlight a position group uh, each week so far, and uh, Callan and I have done that the, the last three weeks. Started out obviously with the long snappers. No, I'm joking, Ethan Table, your great interview. But we started out with the quarterbacks, then went to the running backs, then the wide receivers, tight ends, and Scott Ritchie. We're going to go to your favorite position group, the offensive line this week. How would you how would you assess the first offensive line that Brett Bielen will have at? Arguably the most vital position group that uh, that his offense could have. Well, he's in a pretty good spot because Darren Lowe's coming back, Doug Kramer's coming back, Alex Palczewski's coming back, although we'll see kind of where he stands mm-hmm. after a you know, major knee injury. Mm-hmm. But uh, Virch Brown is back, who started several games. So you got four starters back, so that's pretty good, right? Well, I mean... They, that, that's what they said last year. Illinois had <laughs> four starters back last year, too, and that didn't make much difference we'll find out i think the position's deeper than it has been Mm -hmm. in several years because these guys are getting opportunity to come back um who replaces kendrick green it's going to kind of be a big deal i think blake Mm gerasati could slide into that spot after his shoulder injury kept him out after his transfer from wofford 
So that's another guy with Muse and FCS All American. Mm-hmm. Um, on paper, great place to start for Brett Bielmo mm-hmm. and Bart Miller, the offensive line coach. I got my Miller straight now. Um, <laughs> but we don't know how different things will be in terms of scheme mm-hmm. you know, and how that group might you know, react. But there's something to build with. And you have to imagine that 21, 22-year-olds – can be a little more adaptable, mm-hmm. and especially this Illinois offensive line that has had to adapt to a lot, including starting with Garrick McGee, where he flipped his offensive line, depending on which way the ball was going to go. So that's a choice. Um, so it's a paper great, but we, I mean, we've, I think everyone felt the same way heading into twenty twenty, and they weren't bad; they were fine. Yeah. Kinder Green. I played himself into a middle round NFL draft. Got invited to the NFL Combine, even though there really isn't an NFL Combine this year. So, Kendrick, you're invited, but you got to stay home <laughs> and do it all on video. That's cool, though. That's, uh, I want to say, the first Combine invite for Illinois in four or five years. Uh, I know Jihad Ward, uh, Carol Phillips, I think Dewan Smoot went to Indy uh, as well. So, it's yeah. been a while, though. So, but Illinois needs a new left guard. Green was a left guard, right? Yeah. Yeah, you got from left to right, you got Vidarian Lowe at left tackle, Kendrick Green at left guard last year, Doug Kramer at center, Virtus Brown at right guard, and Alex Palczewski at, at right tackle. So you've got Paucho back at right tackle, Brown likely back at right guard, Kramer at center, uh, Lowe at left tackle, and then likely break Blake Gerasati at left guard you would think kind of going into spring ball that would be the the way the first string offensive line would look i'm not sure who else it would be i mean the new alex, coaching Pil- staff alex pilstrom walk on started a few games last year with and all he, the contact tracing that went on in the program yeah, and like he didn't play poorly mm-hmm. um i think maybe a guy like jordan slaughter might get a mm-hmm. look there I mean, it sort of depends on what you know, this new coaching staff is looking for mm-hmm. in a left guard but I mean, Blake Girasati seems like the the logical fit. The logical oh, fit. And, it, and it's good, too, in the sense that after Palczewski went down last year with the torn ACL at Rutgers, that Julian Pearl got some valuable experience starting at right tackle. The, uh, the Danville graduate who looks nothing like he did in high school when he was a multi-sport star for the, the Vikings in, in football and, and basketball uh, has added, what, 60 pounds to his 6'7 frame. Switch positions at Illinois start out on the defensive line now, obviously on the the offensive line. But he's a he's shown that he can uh, go in and be an effective Big Ten offensive lineman. So that should give Brett Bielema and his staff some some confidence if need be. Like you said, the depth seems to be better. They've got I just looked at their roster, and again, some of these are walk ons too. But they've got 19 offensive linemen in the group. Um, they've got four incoming. Uh, offensive linemen that have already signed arguably the top prospect in the 2020 class right now Brody Weiscarver uh, who started at DeSmet then spent his senior season in Osage Beach Missouri while it looked like DeSmet wasn't going to have a season for a while um, he's coming in he's already enrolled here at Illinois so he should be able to go through spring ball practice and then they've got three in-state offensive linemen uh, led by Joshua Krutz the son of former Chicago Bears center Olin Krutz who uh Plays at, played at Loyola Academy, great program under John Holasek. Well, that's interesting, too, now that I think of it, too, just with the high school football in Illinois being pushed back to spring. Uh, I'll be curious to see what it's like for guys like that, like Josh Krutz, Zach Barley at Plainfield East, and then Joshua Getsky at, at Mantino, the, the signees so far in the 2020 class who still have a six-week regular season coming up in March and April. Yeah, because uh – no high school football player in Illinois has ever played a season after they signed with yeah, the College. Um, you mentioned Brody Weiskopper. It was like, and sort of kind of the guy in that 2021 class. But I mean, I think if Illinois can pull off one thing that Wisconsin did, it was like bring in your offensive linemen and then don't play them for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the, good that they don't want to play as true freshmen. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, Vidarian Lowe, Alice Palczewski. Played as true freshman, but that was Lovey Smith's choice to just blow it up and go young in 2017. Um, those guys became solid Big mm-hmm. Ten offensive linemen, but I think everyone's preferred path, if you had to choose, would be to redshirt those offensive linemen 
when you can and build the depth with guys that you know don't have to learn on the job. All right, this comes now to the uh, most noteworthy part of our podcast every week. We call it the Big Ten. Uh, it's a Big Ten draft where we pick a topic and uh, pick ten items related to a particular topic. Uh, first two, first one we did was uh, high school f- ten high school football programs that Brett Bielema and his staff should recruit. The uh, second one last week was uh, ten Illinois quarterbacks you'd like to see start in the most important game of your season. We're kind of going off the beaten path here. Uh, our producer Ed Bond is in here, so he might turn on his microphone and chime in too, since he's a, a veteran of Big Ten press boxes and Big Ten venues. But we're going to draft our ten favorite Big Ten football venues this week, Scotty. You okay with that? Yeah, I mean, I'll Ed may weigh in with food selection, setup, accessibility, things like that. But I'll, I'll put the disclaimer at the, the front. Um, unlike Big Ten basketball, where I've been to all fourteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, been to a few fewer true that that is that is true but in the great geometrically challenged number challenge college conferences we have these days the big 10 with 14 schools we're only going to pick 10 we're not going to pick all 14 so we're okay with that and luckily scott i've been to i'm looking at this now i've been to 13 of the 14 haven't been to maryland so i guess maryland's off the list already (laughs) sorry mike loxley i'm sure it's lovely in college park I don't know the official name of their stadium. I know it's something. Well, I think it's changed. It's like, like Capital One, sponsored by Under Armour. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Basketball arena is great. Was that Xfinity, Xfinity Center? Yeah. Okay. All right. I got to see it with fans there. That was novel. All right, Scott. Since you're doing me a favor and filling in this week with Colin out on vacation, uh, you get to go ahead and and make the first pick. Get the first pick. And you've um, got 13 schools to choose from. Choose wisely. <laughs> uh, we're, yeah. we're talking everything from from parking to atmosphere to uh, ease to get into the press box to the venue. The venue again. I know fans probably hate when media kind of goes all inside baseball and what it's like to do their jobs. Because whatever, it's our podcast. Get, it's true. Essentially, we get free tickets to to cover the game, but still. This is kind of a behind-the-scenes look at, at what it's like uh, in, in terms of the view from the press box, also ability to get down to the field after the game and a non-pandemic year. Uh, go ahead, Scott. You get the number one pick. Well, as soon as you said, like, consider parking, uh, Wisconsin dropped to the bottom of my list. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of factors you have to weigh. If parking wants to be that one, that, that, that may, uh, may set you off. I mean, I think... My first pick is going to be one I haven't been to yet. Oh, okay. But I've seen it because I park next to it for basketball, and it's looks nice. I like the brick, but okay. it's Michigan Stadium. Ooh, all right. And that was not my top choice, so I'm glad you said that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think just the fact that it turns into a rather large city mm-hmm. on game day with yeah. over you know 100,000 people there, I think 100 and 110. 110. Mm-hmm. That's wild to me. Uh, it's probably just colored by don't see that many people maybe in Champagne on, on game day. But All right, so you're going Michigan Stadium, number one. Yeah, I like, right. I like the okay. look. Okay. The brick is nice. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's one of kind of the mm-hmm. stadiums. I've only been there once. Uh, I went there in 2016, saw Lovey Smith's team get pounced by Jim Harbaugh. Cool moment for that. Hank Aaron was the pregame captain. That was when Michigan was rolling out all the famous – people to come be pregame captains had to physically restrain Bob Osmussen from trying to get down on the field. <laughs> Another key anecdote from that that sticks in my mind is there was a bomb sniffing dog uh, as you made your way into the press box, which was quite the departure from here in Champaign at Memorial Stadium. So that was something to something different. I think Wisconsin had a bomb. Sn- maybe it was a COVID sniffing. Dog. Yeah, maybe, maybe sure. it might've been, who knows? One downfall I would say for Michigan stadium was, Getting to the post-game press conference with Lovey Smith, which lasted, I think, four minutes and 43 seconds after they lost silently to the Wolverines because you couldn't go down the field. You had to go walk halfway across the concourse and find There's the, a lot of a lot of Big Ten stadiums. At least the ones There's I've a lot of Big Ten it. stadiums I've gotten lost in trying to come back up to the press box after yeah, the post-game. Post-game's not in a, always a I never thought place. I was going to get out of Husky Stadium in Seattle. I thought Shannon Ryan and I were going to be trapped there because we could not figure out how to get from the field 
after Tim Beckman's infamous comments, if you take a couple plays out of the game. <laughs> Fun fact, uh, after Brett Bielma's introductory press conference, uh, Shannon Ryan and Joey Wagner, I think, both got locked in Memorial Stadium. <laughs> saw that on Twitter. Yeah. Ken Brown, thankfully, you know, helped them. All right, so you went Michigan Stadium number one uh, with my first pick. I'm going to stay kind of in the same traditional cathedral-type venue, and I'm going to go Ohio Stadium uh, in Columbus. Uh, I've only been there once for a night game where, again, Illinois got humiliated. But uh, really cool place. Uh, Parking was really, really close to the stadium. Only downfall was traffic to get there was horrendous, but that's to be expected when you have about 105,000 people cramming into a stadium. I know it took myself and Bob Osmussen two and a half hours to go five miles from our hotel to get to the parking garage, so that was an experience. Uh, but Ohio Stadium's really cool. Also, the only Big Ten press box I've ever been to where there was a McDonald's smoothie maker machine, something. They had McDonald's smoothies there in the press box before the game. I saw Todd McShay and Sean McDonough sipping on them, so I thought that was pretty pretty entertaining. Uh, great view, too, from the press box. You can see the whole, the whole uh, scene that is there. There's a lot of scarlet and gray. Um, tons of people out and about, too, before the game. Just kind of makes a cool game day atmosphere as well. And, um, yeah, for me... Uh, I'll go uh, Ohio Stadium with my top pick. So you're back on the clock, Scott. Okay. I'm going to go with one that I've been to okay. a couple times, All in right. fact. Um, and I'm going to get the letters wrong, but it's Minnesota's home stadium. TCF Bank Stadium. I was going to say TFC. Right. So, um, And it's one of the newer stadiums in the Big Ten. Uh, but it's got some It's clean lines. Again, mm-hmm. the brick. That must yep. be the thing that gets me. Um, <laughs> but... Really good view from the press box, okay. and the parking is good. the The mm-hmm. garage was not very far from the stadium. It's really cold there. Yeah, the last time I was there, uh, kind of rained. Mm-hmm. It was very pleasant. I didn't drive, so the Uber dropped me off pretty close, which was nice. Um, some weird details only in the PJ Fleck area as you go through the tunnel to get to. Either down to the field before the game, because um, after the game you're not allowed, mm-hmm. as I found out when I tried. Even though I was pretty sure I couldn't, I, you know, you always test. Mm-hmm. Always better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Uh, but just lining the walls of the tunnel, oars and more oars, <laughs> and even more oars after that. It's, I mean, at least they took the damn oar off their helmet. But there you go. <laughs> You could row every boat. I uh, I went there only once, 2015, pre-PJ Fleck. Uh, might have been Jerry Kill, Tracy Clays. I can't remember exactly the whole timing of, of that coaching transition. But anyway, really cool stadium, like you said. It, it's nice, too, because I think it seats about 50,000 or so. It's was kind of an intimate venue. And uh, the way the seats are set up with the school colors is pretty cool with a giant M there. And you can see Williams Arena, too, from from the press box. They had a great pregame breakfast there, like French toast, flapjacks. I mean, the whole nine yards. The, the, yeah. only, the only downfall of that was you had that. to pay for it. And us being cheap journalists, you didn't want to. I, I forked over the five or ten bucks I think it was to do it. I don't but think I had to pay yeah. last time. So, so maybe they've changed. And I got lost coming back up to the press box, <laughs> trying to navigate my way through the gonna, the catacombs of. You're a of consistent PCF. theme in that stresses. <laughs> Scott can tell you all about a trip to Purdue in 2007 for another podcast, but uh, uh, it was cool, cool venue, uh, and it was kind of neat too that that year in 2015 is the Vikings hadn't built U.S. Bank Stadium yet so they were actually playing at TCF Bank Stadium and they had a game the next day against the Packers so you kind of got to see as I'm sitting up there in the press box finishing all my stories and everything you got to see kind of the transformation of the field to get to all the Vikings logos and they were tearing stuff down in the press box and putting up new new uh, uh, logos and stuff like that uh, after the game ended too so that was I thought that was pretty interesting. So I'm going to – I support your, your Minnesota choices, your second one. For my second pick, let's see here. Uh, I'm going to go uh, – I'm going to go Iowa. Kinnick Stadium over there in Iowa City. Uh, clean sight lines. Place – I've been there uh, a few times. The place was always packed. Um, really close to the field too, so it kind of makes it sound louder than what it is. I think it seats around 70,000 or so. 
Uh, parking's really convenient too. You park in the hospital uh, parking garage there, and it's about a five minute walk to the stadium. Pretty easy to get down to the field too after the game as well. Um, really cool too, and I haven't been there uh, since. But the I would say arguably the coolest tradition in college football is the wave that they do to the children's hospital after the first quarter. I mean, if if that doesn't get you, you're uh, you basically don't have a soul. You're so, dead inside. Yeah, exactly. So no, that I uh, if I, you I, didn't I, mention the wave, I would have snuck that in there. Yeah, no, Iowa to me, Kinnick Stadium. That's uh, and they got a statue of Kinnick outside the stadium too, and it's just a, it's a really it's a really just compact kind of really well done I would say architecturally to stadium and like I said the atmosphere there when uh, the place is full is is pretty cool too and the press box is really nice as well so that's always a always better and and the people over there are nice too so Iowa's my second choice so you're back on the clock unless you want to add anything anecdotally about Iowa as we go over our designated time limit for press box and venues I have lots of thoughts on those though <laughs> um no, I've, I've been, I think I've been to Iowa a couple times, so always an enjoyable trip. So my third choice is the place I've spent the most time. It's Memorial Stadium right here in Champaign. They're off the board now. All right. Um, get a good view from the press box. Great view. Uh, and really, this is more just the intangibles thing. Uh, parking is easy. I would say it's the easiest in the Big Ten by far. And it's not, I mean, not a long walk. To you don't have to get on a golf cart to get shuttled over. You don't have to walk around campus wondering where the heck the stadium is. And, I mean, and this is definitely Kent Brown driven, but food choices are always. They're on point. Yeah. and just, Ed, Ed just gave two thumbs up. Like before the game, during halftime, after the game, Kent, you know, after, not this season, but the year before, because nothing was the same this year, uh, Kent brought beer back to the press box nice so i was wondering why there were so many typos in your story (laughs) regime i waited until after (laughs) i was done writing you know to to partake but and then you know post game simple to get down to the field and then to get to the where the room where yeah lovey smith Mm -hmm. now well it's obviously with the new coaching staff yeah be but even I, I will say I haven't done a I haven't covered a game there since the Smith Center is built, but uh, I would have to say that change is different because in my four seasons on the beat, and again this has evolved over time too. But Memorial Stadium in the north part of that in the end zone where the recruiting lounge was is um, they used to have the post game press conference, and then they'd bring a ton of players in, which was great. But it was in that kind of cramped team room there that if you think back to when lovey smith got hired josh whitman introduced a team that was that room the post-game press conference and you'd always have to kind of step over these chairs to get to talk to yeah well it hasn't gotten any better necessarily uh that same team room is where lovey smith did his Mm post-game presume um then we then transitioned to the recruiting lounge which i thought was a better setup we didn't go to the recruiting lounge okay well it was off of the recruiting lounge okay we now trek to the Smith Center okay. and do interviews in the hallway outside. Again, this is all pre-pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Pre-pandemic. Hallway outside the weight room Okay, where they had, I think, three different places set up for players to okay. do interviews. There's not enough room yeah. to do that. It's okay. But uh, these are the, the the hard parts of our job that people say, get over it. Yeah. Just elbowing your way yeah. into the semicircle of people You're around. Fine. You're Jake fine, Hansen. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I fully support Illinois with your third pick. Uh, I'm on the clock now for my third pick, and I'm going to go to another Memorial Stadium. Uh, this one's in Lincoln, Nebraska, though. I'm uh, going to go to the home of the Cornhuskers there with uh, with my third pick. Um, it's really cool driving up to the, for the first time because I tell people this that I have asked in the past. It's almost like you're driving into Champaign and where Westside Park is, there's a 90,000-seat football stadium because you're kind of coming off the highway in Nebraska, and you can see – uh, Memorial Stadium off to the left and Pinnacle Bank Arena and some of their other sports complexes off to the right. And it's really easy to get to. Parking is really close to the stadium for the media, so that's always a, a bonus. They've got a ton of history in and around the stadium, statues of Tom Osborne, Bob Devaney. Uh, it's pretty cool. I'm pretty sure they – I mean, Michigan Stadium's Michigan Stadium's almost – it's like a sunken bowl. Like, it's it's just different that way. Memorial Stadium in Nebraska, they have so many seats in the end zones. It's almost kind of unreal to see the amount of people that get crammed into each end zone there. But um, 
obviously they've got the huge lengthy sellout streak there. I've had the opportunity to cover a night game there too. Watched Amir Abdullah just run roughshod over the Illinois defense, but uh, it was a really cool environment. Uh, those people love their football there, and I would have to say I agree with a lot of the players that have been there too. They're Nebraska football fans are some of the nicest football fans you will ever encounter, and they are cheering as the team comes, the opposing team comes off the field after the games. They're telling them good job, great game, things like that, and um, it's a really nice really nice venue so i i i wholly wholeheartedly recommend memorial stadium in in lincoln nebraska if you're looking to after the pandemic ends obviously you're looking to cross a college football venue off your bucket list yeah nebraska fans may be less thrilled with scott frost at the, the yeah moment. they're a little frosty at scott frost right now that's what you did there um number four for me uh, i mentioned you know, the parking was going to be <laughs> a hard sell uh, but wisconsin like camp randall stadium is it's cool it is cool and the downside is you park within view of Lake Mendota, which isn't anywhere near <laughs> Camp Randall Stadium. I think I've combined. I've been there twice, and I think combined both times, Bob Osmus and I walked two hours around campus to get to the stadium. One time because we got lost. Again, since yeah. keeping up that theme. Trend. Uh, <laughs> so I don't remember the, the last ge- well, the last game I was there, I parked right next to the stadium because it was in October and there was no one there. Yeah. Um, so, But the one before that was the game where we experienced all four seasons in the first half. <laughs> and I af- remember that. After one, the yeah. game, the wind was blowing 50 <laughs> miles an hour uh, off the lake, so we had to walk back into that. It was okay. a cold, long trek. I will say Camp Randall's press box is a little lacking in some of the modern, it's a little natural. Dated. It's a little dated. It is jarring, though, when it's full to capacity and you see and you hear jump around play at the end of third quarter and you really think like the press box is going to fall and you're just going to plummet down so that's part scary yes if you're for your life but also sort of crazy and wild and Mm -hmm. cool because i mean there's that many people jumping and they make the stadium move it is kind of a difficult navigating to the press box because it is an older stadium and you can see that in kind of the yeah there's no direct route yeah, you kind of have to. I think I've got it memorized now. I've done it a couple times. I will say one year I went in there, they had an 11 a.m. kick, and uh, Steve Tricker walked in with us, the former Illini golfer, because he was like their halftime entertainment, which was probably one of the cooler halftime entertainments I've ever seen, where he stood at one end of the end zone and tried to hit a golf ball into like a hole set up at midfield of the 50-yard line. And he was practicing that before the game, and then he almost did it actually at halftime with close to 80,000 people there. So that was pretty cool. And they're... Their pregame food is pretty on point. Uh, they have breakfast brats there for morning games. And, uh, yeah, well, it's those are, those are Those are good. I would just say Get to that. the press box at 9 a.m.? Never too early for a brat. Exactly. They don't have beer, though, unlike a champagne, apparently. That's only after <laughs> the game. Okay, it doesn't, fair enough. There's All no right. drinking while on the job. Just All right. Uh, so you got Wisconsin, Wisconsin number four. Uh, we're down to the remaining choices. Sorry, Maryland, you've already been eliminated because... We've never been there. Uh, we've got Indiana left, Michigan State, Northwestern, Penn State, Purdue, and Rutgers. Uh, so for my fourth choice, I'm kind of torn. It's down to the two P schools for me right now, but I'm going to go with Penn State. Um, it is a giant erector set, though, on the outside. Uh, and Someone told me that before I made my first trip there in, uh, in 2013. And uh, they are correct. It still looks like they should be adding on to the stadium there because it just doesn't look like it's finished on on the outside. But it's really big. The students are mean. They say (laughs) vile things (laughs) Uh, when you're on the field. But it it can really get electric in there. The press box isn't the greatest. Again, I haven't been there. I went there back-to-back years in 2013 and 2014. Uh, it, let's just say it makes Camp Randall look modern uh, in, in terms of its anemones there. They did have a pregame meal and a meal at halftime, though, which was that was on point. Uh, atmosphere's great there. It's kind of cool because it's Penn State's one of the more – they have the most ter- terrain, I want to say, of all the Big Ten schools with Mount Nittany in the background. You just kind of see that as you're staring out uh, in the, into the distance. So – if I had to go with my number four pick, I'll go. I'll go Beaver Stadium. Parking's not 
too bad, but there's a ton of people that go there and they have kind of designated lines based on your parking pass number, different color coded areas, which lane you're supposed to get in. So that's kind of different. Difficult. Yeah. It's a little challenging at first. Um, and it's always interesting too, cause there's really no big hotels in state college. So you always have to stay kind of on the outskirts about 30, 45 minutes away. So you always have to drive in the morning of, which kind of adds a kind of detracts from the whole experience, but I'll, I'll go Penn state. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's different. That's we'll, we'll leave it at that. As well as like, if you're coming in from the North, like Beaver stadium just sort of appears. Exactly. You're just like, okay, I'm driving, I'm driving. Oh wow. There's a giant college football stadium right there. I've only been outside of it. Cause the Bryce Rose funny story about being outside of it is, um, my first time there, I, I drove both times at Penn State, which I don't recommend people doing because it's a long, long drive from Champaign to State College, yeah. as Scott knows. But 2013, I went there on a Friday afternoon and was going to meet Tim Beckman outside the stadium when the team arrived. Well, the team flight had some issues leaving State College. They ended, they ended up going straight to the Ramada there in State College. They didn't come to the stadium. So I just walked around Beaver Stadium for three hours with Aaron Bennett, formerly of WCIA, and just looked at everything and got yelled at by a couple of security guards trying to make our way into the stadium, which we never were successful in doing that Friday night. So there you go. There's some inside baseball in Beaver Stadium. All right, yeah, last pick, last Scotty. Pick. We've got to wrap this up. I'm we're 10 minutes overboard. I'm going to shock the world. All right. Anything is possible, Kevin Garnett. Um I don't. What's I don't know what's called. All right, we now. got Indiana, Michigan State, Northwestern, Purdue, and Rutgers left. It's Rutgers. You're going with Piscata. Wow, wow, wow. Here's why, and Martin O'Donnell will 100 percent back me on this. Best sound system in the Big Ten. <laughs> <laughs> what's the name of the stadium? Isn't it SHI Stadium yeah, or something? When I was there, which clear, wasn't that long ago, it was like point, High Point, High Point Solutions. Yeah, I think they've changed okay. since then, but. I've been there uh, once. It was different. Yeah, it doesn't give you real Big Ten vibes, but no, sounds more Mac was... level vibes. But yeah, okay, I I get it. Texas high school vibes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sorry, folks in New Jersey. Well, they don't go, so it's, <laughs> it's fine. Um, well, couldn't go this year. Yeah. Well, they don't go when they can. Uh, but no, great sound system. And I was just I think it was my first time in New Jersey, so yeah, it was okay. unique. They got a big giant bubble near the stadium too. Like a practice indoor facility, it looks like a giant bubble. Yeah, um, I mean, and it's mostly I found a really good Italian place. Okay, after the game, fair enough. It is cool walking in there. Uh, they've got signs all over the place there, you know, referencing the first college football game in history and kind of the birthplace of college football. So I, I can support that. I guess if but you had to, they want to pump the jams. Yeah. <laughs> it's very Jersey. Jersey Shore-esque, I guess. Uh, interesting anecdote, I guess, for, at least for me. So this is why I'm telling you all this. But uh, it was 2016. It was Lovey Smith's first Big Ten win at Rutgers. And post-game, it's across from where the press box is. So it's, it's really easy to get down to the field there. It's not a big stadium. So I think it's 50,000 or so. And post-game, you have to walk up this giant hill. It's a ramp. It's a huge ramp where yeah. the teams come out of. And post-game was in like some coach's room there at Rutgers like the linebackers coach's room or something yeah it's like a classroom yeah and Piscataway's far it's like 13 14 hours by car Scott's driven it I've flown out there so I didn't have to make the drive out there but there were only a handful of Illinois media's people there I think it was me and Jeremy Werner and like one local TV people out there so there's like three reporters that cover Illinois regularly in this room waiting for Lovey Smith to come up there and uh (laughs) Lovey walks in and just kind of cracks a smile and goes, all right, we could have done this on the field <laughs> instead of walking all the way up there and you had to walk up a couple of flights of stairs to get to the room. But that was my lasting memory of Piscataway and then running back to the press box to write really quickly so I could speed off to Newark International Airport so I could get my flight home. But there. Okay. Rutgers, number five. So I got to... I gotta check the list here. What we got? All right, we got Indiana, Michigan State, Northwestern, Purdue. All right. I know I said last pick it was between the two P schools of Penn State and Purdue, but I'm gonna deviate from West Lafayette. If, if it was an honorable mention choice, I'd say Ross Aid Stadium. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it except for where post game is for the visiting team, which is yes, in this very tiny room, very off very of small room, the locker room. Yes, and while the players are showering, yes. and it's the humidity is one thousand percent. Very true. 
Very true. Good point there, Scott. I'm going to go with Spartan Stadium in Michigan State. I went there last year or in 2019 season out in East Lansing. Um, Nice-looking stadium. Uh, Sidelines are incredibly close to the uh, stands. Uh, I was actually in the end zone when Daniel Barker cut the winning touchdown pass uh, from Brandon Peters to clinch Illinois' bowl berth against that, and I really thought that I was going to get run over by a couple players at times because it was so close there, but Press box is really nice setup there, uh, easy to get to. Um, I would say of all the Big Ten cities I've been to, I would almost say East Lansing's almost comparable to Champaign in terms of the layout of the town and getting around and, and things like that. But the stadium's pretty nice considering it is an older stadium in the Big Ten, but they've made some some nice updates there. And uh, Finding post-game was interesting in the melee after the game when Illinois all celebrating on the field and all the Illinois media types that were there were trying to get footage on their phones and everything. And then you're wondering, okay, where's post game at? But the people that were post game workers are really nice and point us in the right direction as we probably look like idiots wandering around. But, uh, no. So my final pick, I'll go, I'll go Michigan state with, uh, with that. So there you go. We went way too long on this topic that probably only you, I and Ed Bond care about Scott, but I think we provided some real insight. We so did. To why I like things <laughs> and that's being able to park close and having good food. There you go. So to recap, you went Michigan number one, Minnesota number two. Um, I did not write these. Illinois, no, number, Illinois three. number three, Wisconsin four, and then Rutgers five, the sleeper pick there. And with a uh, shout well, out to the I mean, I was limited by the ones I'd actually been to. Yeah, that's true. Very true. I went to Ohio State one, um, and that's all I remember. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, went Ohio State one. I know I mentioned Iowa, uh, Michigan State, Nebraska, and Penn State. Not in that order. So hopefully you all listen to this entirely too long podcast. We went way over. Are a lot of time, and now we got to go the write. Beauty of the internet, exactly. Now we got to go write a lot of stories for Tuesday's News Gazette. But uh, make sure to check out, subscribe, rate, review uh, our podcast. We're just getting going here. We'll be back uh, next week for episode six. Colin Lykes will be back in the seat, dropping some knowledge. Scott, thank you for talking for almost two hours on the first day of February on this Monday. And yeah, and uh, I mean, check out Inside Line of Basketball <laughs> if you'd like. Available <laughs> everywhere you get your podcast. Well, you recorded episode 136 right before we showed up? We did. Okay. All right. Have a good week, everyone. Talk to you later.